As early as 1980, video games included music to enhance the gaming experience. It was only a few years later in 1982 that famous musicians jumped in on the action to star in video games of their own. In 1982, Journey Escape was released for the Atari 2600 and thus began a storied history of famous musical acts creating video games featuring themselves. Today, we're going to look back at these video games, focusing on games of the 80s and 90s that were designed around a famous musician or musical act. Aside from Journey, we'll look at video games that included Michael Jackson, Aerosmith, the Wu-Tang Clan, and more. The fun part? None of these games are actually what we consider to be musical games these days. But it's music nonetheless, so stick around and join us as we take today's musically historical trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 74th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one title relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we discuss it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world and its legacy. Today, we're taking a trip through video game musical history by looking back at video games featuring famous musical artists or acts of the 80s and 90s, or the games themselves are from the 80s and 90s, rather. I'm David Casson, and as always, joining me is my co-host who never stops believing, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, were you born and raised in South Detroit? No, Dave, not quite. Not far, but... To claim that I was born and raised in South Detroit would be a lie. True statement. Because we were not born and raised in South Detroit. South Detroit, as anyone from that area will tell you, is Windsor, Ontario. Or, you know, the southern part of Detroit. We all like to be like, South of Detroit's Canada. <laughs> but there technically is a southern part of Detroit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah uh great so what you've been playing this week man well got a little bit of forza in and a little bit of rocket league and then mostly runescape how about yourself dave samesies a little bit of forza rocket league and, and runescape i haven't really had an opportunity to play anything else than i think about it so yeah well we have a lot to cover today, so let's get right on our musical journey today. In fact, Rob, Journey is where we're starting today. The earliest game I could find that is specifically based around a musical act is based around the band Journey. So released for the Atari 2600 in 1982, Journey Escape has players leading band members to what they call their Scarab Escape Vehicle, protecting concert cash on the way from crazy fans and uh, mostly crazy fans, all sorts of weird things. So the game's, game's manual tells players that they're on the road with Journey, one of the world's hottest rock groups, which is, you know, I love Journey, but arguable. 
A spectacular performance has just ended. Now it's up to you to guide each Journey band member past hordes of loved crazed groupies, sneaky photographers, and shifty-eyed promoters to the safety of the Journey escape vehicle in time to make the next concert. Your mighty manager and loyal roadies are there to help, but the escape is up to you. And that's it. The screen scrolls vertically pretty nonstop, and you move from side to side to dodge the obstacles. You can grab the roadies or the manager who looks like the Kool-Aid man for whatever reason. And these allow you to gain immunity from all the things you're supposed to be dodging while you look out for the escape vehicle, uh, which you need to grab. And, and, and that's, that's the game. You do that from start to finish. It has two pieces of music to it. The, the title screen is a digital version of it. Stop, uh, don't stop believing. And then while you're actually playing the game, there's an original uh, tune. Cause you know, why use two journey songs when you pay the license one, I guess. I don't know. I don't know, but 1982, 1982 is when, you know, a music group got the first notion of, of doing something like this. And, and, and it was journey. They kind of continued the trend next year in 1983 in 1983, Bally Midway tried to capitalize on Journey's success by creating an arcade cabinet simply called journey in journey. Players are tasked with reuniting all the members of the band with their instruments. Each band member, this is funny, is represented as a digitized photograph. Um, digitized photograph placed on a cartoon body. No joke. Uh, in the beginning, you play as each separate band member. Uh, they all have their own individual mini game that involves them collecting their instruments. Once all the instruments have been collected, the band performs a concert while a looping excerpt from the band song Separate Ways is played by a cassette player inside the cabinet. Uh, the player controls Herbie uh, during this segment, who's a bouncer, whose job is to prevent fans from rushing the stage. If a fan sneaks past the bouncer, then uh, the crowd, that, that person steals the instrument, basically. And then you have to go back through the mini game to uh, to reacquire the instrument. And uh, you you do all this. And each time the difficulty ramps up until until you run out of lives. Wow. It's bizarre, though. Like, it's literally like a cart. It's, it's like a pixelated cartoon character. And they literally threw like a digital black and white photograph of each band member's head on top of it. That's 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 just incredible. I <laughs> so it so worked, the, you know. It, well, so this technology was actually going to be used live in another game where they were going to take the photographs and use them in the game, but the idea had to be scrapped when they were prototyping it because various people decided to be exhibitionists and photograph inappropriate things, and th that that. You just you just can't have that you can't have that at all you know what i mean yeah some people gotta ruin it for everybody hey that happens that happens so your earliest games that featured musical apps acts were by journey but journey wasn't the only one who was going to cash in on all of the action you know 
video games were a, a budding medium and everyone kind of wanted to get in, you know, so so other groups jumped in. One such other group was uh, a band called the Thompson Twins. The Thompson Twins included in the so included in the October of 1984 issue of Computer and Video Games magazine was a seven inch promotional flexi dicks dick disc <laughs> flexi disc labeled as the Thompson Twins adventure game. Now. Rob, you may be asking yourself, what's a flexi disc? You have any idea what a flexi disc is? Uh, I've heard of a floppy disc, but never a flexi disc. Yeah, so no, they are separate things. So a flexi disc is a phonographic record made of a thin, flexible vinyl sheet with a molded, molded in spiral groove designed to be played on a on a turntable. So basically. You know, that's a fancy way to say it's literally a super thin, flexible vinyl record. Super thin because it was used as a means to include sound with printed materials such as magazines. Um, the vinyl was so thin that they could literally bind the the vinyl into the magazine seam so it was there. I mean, there's, there's you know, like uh, other magazines that included music and weird things. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. There were other magazines that included weird things, but just just think of a really thin, uh, a really thin record that is just literally comes with a magazine. That's that's what a flexi disc is. It's very interesting. Well, that's where it does get interesting because you got to ask yourself, okay, so this is a record, right? It's a thin record, right? Vinyl record. How? It's a video game. How the hell do you get a video game out of a thin vinyl record? You know, in order to to play the adventure game, players had to transfer the game data from the flexi disc to either a ZX Spectrum computer or a Commodore 64. Now, there were two ways they could do this. For both the Spectrum and the Commodore, the recommended method involved making a intermediate recording from the flexi disc onto an audio cassette, which was then used to transfer the data to the computer through a cassette player because a lot of your early computers actually had cassette players. That was, that was a form of data storage back then for the spectrum version. The player could also transfer the game data directly to the computer without using an audio cassette as the intermediate. And in order to do so, they could hook their record players, headphone socket directly to the spectrums. They called it an airport. It was like a microphone port via wire leads and you'd have to use a preamplifier for this method and you can't have the speakers turned on because it would it would interfere the 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 digit you know all that would interfere with the with the recording and then basically when you did it that way you could it, it would as it played it would record the data onto the computer which is really fascinating so basically you had to find some way to transfer the data off of a record onto a computer and those are two mediums, like even the even the cassette player. I, I would imagine not a lot of people who are younger would even know that at one time we stored video games on cassette on cassettes themselves, let alone that there's a little bit of time when you could get them on records as well. Yeah, I wouldn't I, I didn't know about the cassettes. Basically, both of them could be transferred without the without the intermediate. And like I said, delicate. It's a delicate process. 
you know, it can be disrupted by background noise, by scratches on the record. It, it, it wasn't very popular because it was very fickle, is the truth of it. Now, the Thompson Twins Adventure game is based on the 1984 single Doctor Doctor. Its plot revolves around the efforts of the three Thompson twin members to gather ingredients for the concoction of the Doctor's, uh, the, the doctor's Potion from the Doctor Doctor song. The game opens with the Thompson twins at a beach location. From there, they have to travel through several areas including a forest and a cavern to search for all these ingredients to make the doctor's potion. And then once they've collected all the ingredients and located the doctor, the doctor creates the potion and you win the game. Uh, Now the nature of the doctor's potion was a secret answer to a competition. It was basically the answer to a competition that was launched alongside the game's release by the magazine computer and video games. This contest ran for one month. Uh, During this month, contestants had to gather and examine clues by listening to the Dr. Dr. Single, which was also included on the Flexi Disc, by the way. Um, And so basically, it was a version of Dr. Dr. It had a special introduction message, and then they had the music, and it had the game on this, this little Flexi Disc. And you could listen to it and play through the game to figure it out. Now, when the identity of the potion was discovered, contestants were supposed to send their answers into Computer and Video Games magazine. The first correct answer was going to win the grand prize, which was free tickets to an upcoming Thompson Twins concert with the opportunity to meet the musicians backstage afterwards. Prizes would also be awarded to runners up. So there was this whole big contest around it, provided you could get the game, get on your computer and then actually play through it. Um, now, the gameplay is a, a really simple graphical adventure, an early graphical adventure. You're presented with a graphic screen, just a picture. It has a text caption below, you know, such as there's a deep seat of the north, exits lead north, south, east, west. There's a coin here. What shall we do? And you would type get coin and it would say, OK, got a pound coin. What do I do? Move west. OK, next screen, so on and so forth. I don't know if we've really covered many of the early text adventures like Zork. But this is pretty standard for text adventures, and this is how um, this is how the Thompson Twins adventures was played, which honestly is is um, I didn't look it up, but I would imagine an actual flexi disc version of this is probably not that common. That's really fascinating. I should look that up sometime. But this wasn't the only game that was distributed like this by musicians. In 1986, the Polish pop band Papa Dance also distributed a trivia game about the ba- about the band with one of their vinyl records. It was on a flexi disc and like the Thompson twins adventure, it was designed to be recorded onto a cassette tape, which that could then be played in the spectrum ZX. So um, on the other hand, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes music advertising went in the opposite direction. Rob, have you ever heard of the band Frankie Goes to Hollywood? I cannot say that I have, Dave. Not at all? Uh, I mean, not by name. Maybe uh, by song, possibly. How about Relax, Don't Do It? Yep, okay, there you, you go. When you want to go through it. Didn't know the name of the artist, but <laughs> I, there you go. I know a song. <laughs> so in 1985, a development studio called Denton Designs developed a video game for the Commodore 64 Amistrad computer and ZX Spectrum called Frankie Goes to Hollywood. 
It included a cassette tape which had a live version of their hit song, Relax. Frankie Goes to Hollywood as a video game, puts the player in Liverpool in search for the Pleasure Dome. The player has to find and use various objects and play minigames to reach the goal. And the goal being that you start out as a simple character, and to reach the, the Pleasure Dome, one has to become a full person. To become a full person, there are four attributes, which are sex, war, love, and faith. They have to be filled to 99%. And you boost your attributes by completing tasks in the game, these various mini-games that were in the game. Um, during the game, weird enough, I don't know why they felt the need to add this on top of it, but a murder takes place. And there are various rooms in the city that the character can visit that you can that contain clues in order to figure out who the murderer is and the clues are in pairs which helps you eliminate suspects so for example the player might be told that the killer is an atheist and mr somebody is a regular churchgoer and therefore mr somebody would be in 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 innocent innocent um in theory you really can't complete the game without solving the murder because you get a, 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 a ton of pleasure points for naming the killer and it would be an absolute grind otherwise. So I guess you could, but, but people don't. So, um, but yeah, really weird. You have to get to the pleasure dome and solve a murder on your, on, on the way to, to get to the pleasure dome. So you're telling me that people would not in fact like to grind for the pleasure dome pleasure dome huh dave <laughs> oh that's a good one i wish i would have thought of that joke that's a really good one good one rob sometimes i try very true so not long before frankie goes to hollywood made a game in 1984 former beetle paul mccartney starred in a box office flop called give my regards to broad street okay you ever heard of give my regards to broad street negatory dave yeah that's okay that's all right so in 1985 released for the spectrum and the commodore was an ill-fated game of the same name i guess if you're gonna make a, a a movie flop why not make a game flop too in this game called paul mccartney's give my regards to broad street you play as who else but paul mccartney whose master tapes for his new album have been accidentally erased. Engineers have recovered all of the tracks except for the first single, which is called no, no more lonely nights. And the album's backer, you're the guy financing it basically has given you until midnight on Saturday to replace the track. And so the goal of the game is to drive around London, searching for all seven band members uh, that each play their part on the track so that you can re-record it in time to be able to release the whole thing by midnight on Saturday. So it's mostly a drive. It, it, I mean, it is a driving game. Woo. No, it's not kind of cool, actually. Well, I mean, you, who would guess that Paul McCartney's Give My Regards to Broad Street would be a driving game? I mean, it does say street. <laughs> yeah, it does say street. <laughs> it very much does say street. That is a very... Very, very good point. Um, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Have you heard of any of these games yet? 
Not a one. Not a one. Well, that's that's kind of a shame. Actually, I don't think it's a shame whatsoever. Well, Rob, speaking of movie tie-ins, since we're going from that one, in 89 or 90 or so, we got a little gem called Michael Jackson's Moonwalker that was tied to his anthology movie, also called Moonwalker. I remember Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. I remember seeing ads for the Sega Genesis version, though I will point out that all the versions were kind of different. There was an arcade version that was slightly different than the home console versions. In Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, the gameplay is focused on finding children, um, all of which resemble one of the characters from the movie. And basically, it, it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up, kind of like, I don't know, uh, Streets of Rage or Double Dragon of the time. And you basically moonwalk and kick and punch your way through these levels to find these, these children who are in various places like the trunk of a car behind the door, the door of a house and the window of a house. You're basically trying to, you're trying to find all these children. You have a special attack. That special attack is your, your uh, spinning. He, he spins and he throws his hat at enemies and uh, if you can hold the special attack button long enough, all the on-screen enemies come together to start dancing for the music. Like, like they all come together to dance and do one big Nats number. And that by the end of that, that kills everyone, <laughs> which I, I don't know. But you like you moonwalk in a graveyard and you moonwalk through like a parking garage. And uh, it's just so weird. But a lot of games, a lot of games of the 90s, 80s and 90s were weird. At one point, you even have his chimp Bobo on your head, like helping you for things. Um, oh, yeah, I know that, it. That's a lot to take in. It, it, so look, I th- so what I plan on doing moving forward and I started it with this episode is I, I'm going to start posting when I can find them. Let's play for the various games. So if you want to kind of see what I'm talking about, just check out our website at uh, www.memorycardlane.com. In my show notes where I keep all my sources, I'll link a a YouTube video, excuse me, that has a let's play where you can, you can see what I'm talking about and, and yeah, and do all that fun stuff. So Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, basically you got to rescue all the children and, and dance dance with all your enemies and and help Mr. Bobo. No, Mr. Bobo help you. Mr. Bobo does help you. That is correct. Mr. Bobo does help you. And at the end of the game, you're in a robot at some point. I mean, this game is just all sorts of weird. I ain't even going to lie. I uh, uh, yeah. I I ain't even going to lie. But I do remember seeing ads for this one. I remember watching all the like they they you know they were advertising this as you know Michael Jackson was the big thing so i remember ads in which like everyone was on screen and michael jackson was doing his thing type deal um it, i don't know why but this is one game from that era that has always kind of stuck out in my head i didn't have any you know i can easily recall it i i never played it though because it was a sega i don't know if they made it for anything else but i we didn't have a sega we were Nintendo people growing up, so we were Nintendo people growing up. That That's plain and simple. 
Anyway, so from 89 to 1990, in the early 90s, the Sega CD came out and the technology of the Sega CD allowed the game designers to try something very different. In 1992, they started releasing a series of games that were called Make My Video. And these games were all quote unquote video games that were based on the real time editing of music video footage. For instance, there was one called Make My Video Crisscross, also Make My Video Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And in the Crisscross one, the setup was that you were a radio DJ taking calls from listeners who would want to see custom videos from their favorite crisscross, like made made out of their 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 favorite crisscross video, right? Right. And in this, you could choose from three crisscross songs. You could choose from Jump, Warm It Up, or I Miss the Bus. And basically, your callers, quote unquote, would choose from pictures that would tell you what they wanted to see or what they didn't want to see. And then a video editing console would pop up that would allow you to put the video together and you could apply real time filters to the the music video, such as a mosaic or a blur. Uh, You could add color filters. You could add a strobe effect. You could add motion filters. You could put lyrics, subtitles on it. There was all sorts of weird things you could do to music videos. Um, You just had to kind of vaguely follow the guidelines. Um, You had to, you know, very vaguely follow the guidelines that the people asked for. And then at the end, the DJ would evaluate your work to decide whether or not it was what they asked for. And if it wasn't, the video wouldn't get played. Everyone had a slightly different, uh, slightly different plot to it in Marky Mark and the funky bunch. For instance, you were a brother and sister sitting there watching um, Marky Mark videos and arguing over which Marky Mark video was the best. And so it would get posed to you to they would have requests about what they wanted to see in a Marky Mark video. And you would have to go back through and play it and, and make the video. And they would tell you, you know, either thumbs up or thumbs down. They also made one for NXS. Now there is one more in this series. The very first game that they made in the make my video series was actually called power factory featuring CNC, the, the CNC music factory. And they they all played the same. They just had different music and different plot lines. Rob, they're really bad games. I'm not even going to lie. If you have a chance to look at these, you should look at these because they're kind of atrocious. In fact, uh, in 1997, the Electronic Gaming Monthly Magazine listed the series as a whole, collectively, as number two on their top 10 worst games of all time list. Wow. Yeah, it it does. It it looks it looks kind of uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. I mean, but let's be honest, the technology was really, 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 really rudimentary at the time. I mean, being able to edit your own music videos, we didn't have video editing on computers. I mean, it was a novelty. It was just one that wore off really quickly, you know? Right. So a few years later, from 92 to 94, we got one of the, what I would argue is probably one of the more well-known or perhaps even the best-known game on this list, which is called Revolution X. You ever heard of Revolution X, Rob? Negatory, Dave. So I played a lot of Revolutionary X. It was originally released as an arcade cabinet, and it was everywhere. And I that's it. I played a lot of Revolution X. A lot, a lot of Revolution X. So in Revolution X, 
you are a well how about this so revolution x is a, a shooting gallery video game uh it was released in an arcade cabinet like i said 94 and it, it's it's a shooting cabinet so you'd walk up to it and there would be a machine gun and you would point the machine gun at the screen which would you know which was your cursor and and point the trigger and basically that was the game it's basically it was a reskinned version of their other cap of of Midway's other cabinet Terminator 2 Judgment Day, but they themed the entire game around the band Aerosmith, which, you know, you an Aerosmith fan, Rob? Uh, I, I've listened to a song or two. Me too. In Revolution X, there is an oppressive regime called the New Order Nation. And they basically have abducted Aerosmith and you have to use the mounted machine gun to shoot enemies and rescue all the members of Aerosmith to get the game's true ending. And it's really funny. So basically (laughs) this came out in 94, right? And the way they laid the plot out was that in their 1996, the dystopian version of 96, an alliance of corrupt government and corporate military forces have taken control of the world as the New Order Nation. The New Order Nation, with their vampish commander, Headmistress Helga, had declared war on youth culture, which was anyone aged from 13 to 30, and have banned all forms of music, television, magazines, and video games. So that you, as the player... You travel to quote unquote Club X in Los Angeles to see Aerosmith perform live, but you find that the band has been captured by New Order Nation troops and is then hustled off the screen in the middle of the show. After escaping from the club, you steal a helicopter and you fly across the city to chase the band's car. From there, you have to go and try to chase them through three different New Order Nation installations. There's one in the Middle East. There's one in the Amazon jungle. There's one in the Pacific Rim. And then you have to travel to London where you finally catch up with Helga at Wembley Stadium and defeat her and the rest of the New Order Nation, the New Order Nation forces. And the gameplay is pretty basic. You know, it's a rail shooter. Basically, the, the screen moves and enemies come at you and you point the gun and you shoot to kill them. And that that's pretty much it. You know, there's power ups that you shoot at. There's also hostages that you could shoot. Club X is actually kind of a strip club with adult dancers that 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 are caged. So the game kind of starts out in a in a with a, a scantily clad uh, dancer that you could you can shoot all, you can shoot all the cages and rescue her, Rob. So you know not all is bad in the world. Very nice. Got to save her. Well, and they have video of Aerosmith. So like you know you get into the band's dressing room and you, there's a little cassette player that says "Play Me." And then like this really low quality, uh, you know, video of, of, of Steven Tyler pops up and he's like, we've been kidnapped. Rescue me. And like I said, you chase the car and you do all sorts of fun stuff. What's probably most fascinating about Revolution X is that this this game, you know, even though it's it, it looks and it's pretty much like Terminator 2 was actually originally developed as a title based on Jurassic Park, but Midway couldn't acquire the rights to Jurassic Park. Sega beat them to to licensing rights for Jurassic Park. And so they had to retool this entire concept, this game they developed. And I 
I I don't know why I, I I couldn't find a story about why Aerosmith or where or where or why or anything like that. Um, it's still kind of puzzling to me. But what I can tell you is I I played it a lot. I mean, it was a cool game. It was a cool game in that like it's one of the earliest games I can remember where a, like a famous band was on there. And I mean, it wasn't a bad game to begin with. All those games which you have, which are like machine gun shooters. That was a novelty at the time, too. You know what I mean? Right. And I remember yeah, that. I remember this thing being everywhere, like even when you didn't expect things like this. Uh, uh, yeah, it was just it was everywhere. It'd be like the one of those weird cabinets that if like you were at like this weird gas station in the middle of nowhere and they had like two arcade cabinets, one of them was going to be Revolution X for a hot minute. Huh. So that was a thing. Well, yeah, yeah, man. I used to go to uh, Nine Mile. There's a little party shop at the corner of I don't remember the street now, but it was a couple blocks down for us. And I used to go buy candy and play Mortal Kombat in there. And they only had one cabinet when I was young. It was Mortal Kombat. Probably changes. I got owner older. But yeah, they had there was like one off cabinets here and there, you know, I think I talked. I think I talked about that in our Mortal Kombat episode. But I just remember this that, you know, it was always candy and I'd go through a couple quarters in the Mortal Kombat machine. I'd break my money with the, the candy and eat candy while playing video games. <laughs> I mean, but like, you know, well, I guess it was a liquor store. It still is. So. Is it? it was, well, yeah, if it's where I'm thinking it is. Yes, it's that first store. Like when you're coming from mound towards Ryan. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a part. It's a party store. So I guess it's got to be a liquor store. So I just don't pay attention to liquor when you're a kid. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, I know. You know, I wasn't the only one who was into this in 1994, mid, mid, mid to late 94. It was listed as the second most popular arcade cabinet by the by the numbers. People were buying it. People were playing it. This was a novelty that I wasn't the only one that was that was really interested, interested in it. I'm, But yeah, man, Middle East, Pacific Rim, you know, and then you'd, you'd fight at Wembley Stadium. A big I remember Wembley Stadium, just a big, <laughs> big screen, like bank of TV monitors, you know, it's just it was a cool game. It was a cool game. I don't really it would have been a cool game without Aerosmith, but it was a novelty with Aerosmith because they were very recognizable in the mid 90s. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a cool thought. I mean, you know, Aerosmith's a cool group. Yeah, I mean, it got ported to everything, but the ports didn't do very well. It was eventually released on the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis on the Sega Saturn. Also found its way to computers and on the PlayStation. Um but the ports, they just were, they were, they were really poor ports. For instance, the Super Nintendo version is on more than one uh, worst games of all time lists. Huh. It, it didn't do very well at all, wow. but it was a, it was a fun arcade title. I, I really got a kick out of it, obviously. I mean, come on. It, it starts out in a club with exotic dancers. Of course, people were going to play it. Yeah, it's a great start to any game. When you shoot the cages, the woman goes free at last. Thank you. <laughs> it's kind of stupid. Wow. That sounds yeah. awesome. I know. I know. Well, you know, I, I think it's a fun one. I, 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 I'd recommend playing that one. There's nothing. There is nothing wrong with it. You know, from rock to hip hop, 
1999, the Wu-Tang Clan came out with a game called Wu-Tang Shaolin Style. It's a fighting game for the PlayStation. Uh, It has a story which is told mostly through full motion video sequences and it tells the tale of it tells the tale of a group of martial artists studying under master zin who is the last practitioner of the ancient kung fu discipline of Tang. now the first uh sequence in the game shows a small army of warriors practicing martial arts under the watchful eye of you know this master and he basically wants to he's the bad guy he he declares his plans to discover the secrets of the wu-tang clan from from you know the master of wu-tang and he discovers that they're hanging out on staten island and so they basically send he sends all his goons to track down this wu-tang master and all the members of the wu-tang clan you know have to go out to defend and later rescue their master basically it's it's a weird it's it's a weird story it's a tournament style game rob it has matches that uh range between two and four fighters at once uh with either every fighter for themselves or you could do it as a two on two or one versus three there are stylized versions of all nine members of the the actual wu-tang clan in the game along with a number of fictional characters there are human martial artists alongside them. There's also godlike beings with magical powers. And the combat's similar to many 3D fighting games. You had a couple punch buttons, some kick buttons, a block button, a crouch button. Uh, it played a lot like, you know, your Mortal Kombat's and Street Fighters of the time, where you were fighting one another, and when your health bar reached zero, you died. When you defeat the last opponent in a match, speaking of fighting games at that time of Mortal Kombat you actually performed a fatality. You performed a fatality on the character. Each character had like five different fatalities. Really, all you had to do was press one of the face buttons on the controller, and each one had a different fatality move. Oh, you didn't have to memorize crazy button combinations that only certain people would be able to figure out and annoy everyone when they got them every single time. Yeah, I know. But yeah, I mean, it was it was just a basic... Uh, it was just a basic tournament fighter, but you know it's pretty notable because you could play as members of the Mutang clan. Mutang members of the Mutang clan had to go through all these chambers to rescue your Wu-Tang master, Master Zin. Master Zin. Master Zin. Yes, Master Zin. Hmm. Yeah, didn't know that was a game either. Had had no idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really know. The only one of these games so far, I mean, don't like I said, I, I remember Moonwalker because it was I mean, it was plastered everywhere in magazines The you know, the ones from the 80s were honestly a little bit before my time. And and of course, there is uh, I never played the make my video series because I didn't really do a lot of Sega CD. You know, I, again, we were Nintendo kids. We didn't have a Sega. But Revolution X, like I said, that game was everywhere. I, play, I I dumped a lot of quarters into Revolution X. I was never any good at it, though. I was never any good at any arcade titles. I think looking back, the only arcade titles I've ever completed, the earliest one would have been the, the original Simpsons arcade game, which is phenomenal. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to play it. I can't say that I have. No, I did not know they had an arcade game. 
Oh my god, the original Simpsons arcade title is so good. We'll have to see if we can do because it's multiplayer. We'll have to see if we can find like a uh if it's online. I don't know if they've ever re- recreated it, but maybe it's on an emulator or something that we could do it and play together because it is so much fun. And then the Time Crisis. I beat a couple of the Time Crisis games because I'm a big fan of the Time Crisis series. I have. Well, obviously, you and I have played Time Crisis, but I've never actually beaten any of those games. I don't know. I, I guess I just never felt like spending the money <laughs> when it's all you had. It's different. But I don't know when we can play the same game at home a million times and not spend thirty dollars. Well, that's the thing. So. I, you know, arcades, arcades were largely dying as you, when, when you were growing up and, and kind of getting big into gaming. And 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 what I'm about to say is going to stand true for you, but it was more so for me. Technologically, arcade cabinets were way ahead of like in terms of innovation, they were ahead of most of the other games at the time. You know, like I couldn't it was a novelty to go and and, and pick up a machine gun and be able to play with it that was fun but i think in the era of all these peripherals we have now motion controls are so standard and and you can pick up a a racing wheel you know and play with a racing wheel at home and that made the the going to the arcade and sitting down at a cabinet and racing kind of ops it wasn't a novelty anymore and and now virtual reality has all but kicked all of its butts you know i i think that has made all the things that made an arcade special kind of disappear um but you know even even early on in the golden age of arcades the ports of games for the consoles they weren't as good as their arcade counterparts you know arcades were always technologically more powerful the games played better they sounded better you know they 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 looked better and so you always wanted to go because it was it was it was the ideal gaming experience. I guess the best way I can relate it to to older or to younger audiences is the movie theater going experience. Because there are definitely some movies that are just better experienced in theaters. Does it, does it, you know what I mean? I don't know, man. After going to the movie theater for my buddy's wedding and there being heated seats with massage functions you could plug in headphones and change the language of the movie might have to be doing that for every movie well that's that's what i mean nice way of doing things that's what i mean like they're just like the movie theater going experience is just superior in a lot of ways to watching at home and for a while that's what arcade games were to a generation it was it was the ideal gaming experience you know in a time when you couldn't get your own personal gaming pc you could go and play a a a a good game on a on a basically the equivalent of a gaming pc in an arcade and get a really great gaming experience that you couldn't find at home hey if more arcades had more like motion simulators like when we went uh years ago with you and they had that motion uh racing simulator they'd be a lot more likely to go because that's, again, technology that is really something people would be interested in, but not the average consumer is going to be able to go and spend the thousands of dollars on that. No, I agree. The space for it. So, yeah. I mean, you know, stuff like that, it's, they can still have the novelties, but I do get what you're saying, too, that there has been a lot of that stuff taken away. I mean, 
Duck Hunt is one of those points that like, you know, the arcade may have been better, but you could get a lot of the same idea with Duck Hunt for some of them. And then they came out with games like that for Wii with the Resident Evils. Um, and it's just gotten better since then for those rail shooters. Um, well, the arcade arcade gaming was also a social event. You know, the Internet made home gaming a social event and we didn't have as much of that. Uh, don't get me wrong. We had it. You would go over to your friends and you'd play video games. But when you didn't want to sit at home or when your parents were aggravating you, you know, uh, y'all went to the arcade or you went to the mall to hang out, not at home. And then you went to the arcade. So those were our social areas. And I think that largely because the Internet, the Internet has kind of taken over for that. We, our social areas are uh, we have the Internet has allowed us to have both our personal space and our social place space combined in one with the convenient ability to separate them like. We can hang out the way we do doing this over a computer thousands of miles away. But then when you aggravate me, I can be done with you. Click the button and, and be in my own personal space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what he said. So, Rob, there were a few other notable mentions that I kind of want to briefly talk about in terms of games from this area, area, era. In 1991, the Blues Brothers released a game on the Amiga Amistrad, Atari, Commodore, basically everything. Um, where you're the Blues Brothers. It's a it's a five-level platforming game where you control either Jake Blues Brother or Elwood Blues Brother <laughs> Blues. And, and you try to escape a prison, cross a river, and move through a big city to, to gain your freedom. In 1992, there was a game release called Motorhead. Uh, you a Motorhead fan? I, I've heard a song or two. So in Motorhead, you are Lemmy. Who's the hmm. who for those of you who don't know Motorhead, that's the, the leader, the lead leader of the band. He is the Motorhead. He is the Motorhead. Yep. He's the head of Motorhead. There he's, you the, go. he's the head of Motorhead. That's a good one. <laughs> Basically, all the other band members have been kidnapped by fans of non-heavy metal genres. Um, and our bass guitar wielding hero goes on a it's basically a very double dragon-esque game. It's a side scroll and beat em up where you basically stop to fight groups of enemies who pop up in hopes of, of, of stopping him from of stopping him. Um, and you beat him up with your bass guitar, which is really funny. You also have other various powers. You have a belch that incinerates people, or you can rock out a deadly bass guitar solo that would melt your face off. So did Tenacious D happen to write a song about this? Because this sounds a lot like the metal. I know they have a lot of inspirations like that. I don't know if it's specifically based on this, but yeah, I mean, it sounds a lot like the metal. You're right. I never thought about that before. So, yeah, no, I mean, when you say that, they, they all these different genres tried to de defeat the metal and the metal was too strong. The metal was too strong. So I remember this next one. Uh, we had it in the house in 1994. There was a game release called Prince Interactive. Yeah, yeah, of course we had it. Yeah, of course. I <laughs> saw yep. so our dad is a huge Prince fan, except it's called Prince Interactive. But this was that weird period where he was going as the artist formerly known as Prince. And he had that symbol. And so the front of this game was just a symbol. Basically, this is an adventure game where your quest is to collect the five pieces of the symbol. And you go through five. It was basically it was a virtual reality world. There was a foyer, his studio, his library, his grand hallway, dance club a bourgeois uh he had a virtual theater and he had a candle room 
I remember this. I mean, this was a CD-ROM game in a time when CD-ROM games were kind of new and the tech, you know, it was, it, it was so cool. It, there wasn't anything to the game, but going through all these virtual areas, but like you wanted, you wanted there to be more, you know, basically you had to, basically you had to go through his house, which was shaped like the symbol and find the symbols. And you collected them by, by solving these simple puzzles that when you would, you would, um, you would solve them. You'd get to see videos. And at the end, there was a special music video. And this game contains music clips and concert video clips and, and interactive objects. It was like a mini Prince museum um, where you could click and you could say, Hey, here's this guitar. Well, this is the guitar he used in X, Y, and Z. It was so cool. The game included four full like music videos, uh, had a karaoke version of kiss in there. And in, in the, in the music club inside the, the, uh, inside the structure, there were also sitting there was, uh, Eric Clapton, little Richard, George Clinton, and Miles Davis, who all shared their views about Prince with you. It was, it was just super cool. I remember it for the time. It was super cool. Sounds interesting. Definitely. And you know, yeah, obviously definitely would have had it in this house. So I'm sure you've seen your fair share of it. Surprised I haven't, honestly. <laughs> I don't even know where it is. So uh, in 95, there was a game called Rap Jam Volume 1. Rob, do you remember the game NBA Jam? Yeah. No, I honestly, Rap Jam sounds familiar as well. So this was a, a it was NBA Jam, but with with the most popular rappers of the time as the players instead of basketball players. Yeah, that definitely sounds familiar for some reason. I may have seen that before. Uh, you could play as Public Enemy. You could play as LL Cool J, various members of Naughty by Nature. You could play as Queen Latifah, various members of House of Pain, Onyx, Warren G was in there, Coolio was in there. Basically, you would it was it was NBA Jam on outdoor courts with with rap and hip hop artists. There was also in 1998 a game called Queen the Eye. Queen the Eye was a 3D action game that had hand-to-hand combat and some puzzle solving. It had a really unusual storyline. Obviously, the rock group is Queen, which I'm a big Queen fan. I've honestly oh. never never heard this one. So the plot in this one was, in the future, the world is ruled by an all-seeing machine called the Eye, who has gotten rid of anything which will promote any creativity or freedom of expression. And you basically play as a person who annoyed the eye by rediscovering music and you're sentenced to death in the arena, which is a show broadcast to the world where you have to fight. You basically it's an arena style like battle. You have to fight for your life. And from there, you basically go on a quest to fight your way out of the arena and in turn, destroy the eye. I don't remember that one at all. Yeah. I've never heard of that one. Some notable mentions there, Rob, some very, very notable mentions. Like I said, you know, if you want to learn any more about this, these games, you want to see a let's play of, of most of them. I, for all the ones I did major on, I, I posted, well, you know, I, I have Wikipedia, at least for all of them. Check out our show notes on www.memorycardlane.com. You can find more information about all of these games. You can also find links to our old episodes, slight biographies of us, a link to our Discord, and a link to our social media. Uh, we have a Facebook page. I'm on Twitter as David is wrong. Rob, what social media do you want to plug these days? Well, Dave, my social media is 
twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Nice. Well, we covered a whole lot today. You know, at the top of each episode, we tell you that their goal for every week is to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Obviously, a whole lot of inspiration and legacy, as these are all musical acts. But as part of our commitment to you, we like to go roundtable and talk about our biggest takeaways from each week, each episode. So, Rob, what was the probably the most interesting thing you learned today? Uh, well, probably that there just were arcade cabinets in, in random places, like random gas stations and stuff. I That's mean, not too weird. I mean, our, our dentist's office had a Pac-Man table in it. See, and I, I don't ever recall that being a thing. So yeah. for me, that's very weird. I mean, I, I get it because arcade, like it's something that was out in public and stuff. It's not like most places aren't just going to have an Xbox sitting out for like, hey, play this. Like, it's a little different, but like, it's just it's weird for me to think about not having grown up and seeing that. That's true. I, You know, it's funny because like every place used to have a gumball machine too. And that's a thing of the past as well. You know? Yeah. That's really sad. I yeah. love those things. My favorite part about going to family video. I remember every time I went in there, had to get one. And then sometimes we would get lucky and we'd get a free movie out of it. <laughs> and I would always get to pick and I'd mostly always choose Pokemon. Of course. Hey, of course. That's okay. Nothing wrong with Pokemon. Nothing wrong with Pokemon at all. Exactly. What about you, Dave? What What was your biggest takeaway from Aldeus? Uh, flexi discs. I had never stumbled across flexi discs before. I can't ever remember having a flexi disc or seeing a flexi disc or knowing that flexi discs ever existed. I did. We did have uh, cassette add-ons for computer. So I was aware that games came on a cassette. So the concept of having to transfer it over to a cassette is perfectly logical and I can get behind it. But uh, flexi discs were brand new to me. It was it was kind of fun. I went down a little bit of a flexi disc rabbit hole because, like I said, they weren't just used for video games. You know, there's there's things where like an issue of National Geographic had some world music on a flexi disc in it, for instance. So it was something that they tried, albeit briefly. It, it didn't take off for a long time. Um, and it wasn't used terribly much, but uh, flexi discs were brand new for me. And even more so, I had I had never stumbled across video games on a record. That was just such a cool concept to me. Yeah, you know what? It, it, I honestly that that was a, a pretty close second for me because uh, it, it's still even the cassette thing to me. Again, that just to me, it doesn't make sense. Like you recorded this music and it's suddenly a game like I don't I I, I don't know. I'd have to see it. Just hearing about it, it sounds like witchcraft to me. But coming from an electrical engineer, I don't really... Everything I do is witchcraft, so... Well, I mean, everything is boiled down to ones and zeros. You, you're, A sound is a one and an empty space is a zero, and it just it just did it. I mean, think about this, uh, too. How, how the hell... How in the hell do we get, you know, music out of a vinyl record? It's just grooves that are read by a stylus, you know, in vinyl. Well, I mean, yeah, but like I've I've seen that in action, and like I've learned about it, but like I just until you made uh, the relation between noise no noise one zero, like I wouldn't have thought like, hey, this sound is now hooked into a computer and it created a game. It just 
I wouldn't have thought of the process just at the moment. You know, I'm sure if I would have thought about it, I would have had time and process that that's how it's done. But just sudden knowledge information, like sudden knowledge dump, I'm just uh, a little confused. Yeah, well, me too. It just, uh, I mean, it, like I said, it was a very foreign concept that I had no no idea. So that was that was a fun one. Fluxy discs are really interesting. Right, well, you are. Well, Rob, do you have uh, before I take it out for the week? Do you have anything you'd like to add to today's episode? Well, Dave, as always, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. We have been doing this for seventy-two weeks. Seventy-four weeks. No, no, 70, 72. Two of them don't count. We've been doing this. <laughs> we've been doing this for seventy-four weeks, and. It's been fun, and we hope you're having fun, too, because we're having fun. It's all fun. I can't, fun, help, Dave. I can't help natural disasters, man. I mean, hey, speaking of natural disasters, why don't you tell them about next week, Dave? That's a good segue. Very good segue. Well, ladies and gents, next week we're going to be looking at the granddaddy of the city building genre and the game that taught millions upon millions of gamers what it was to create while gaming instead of destroying like they were used to. Originally released for the Mac OS and Amiga in February of 1989, the original SimCity was not expected to be a smashing success at all. And truth is, is that it was passed on by tons of publishers before a chance meeting allowed for the game to come to fruition. So next week, we'll be talking all about how SimCity was and almost wasn't alongside our own experiences with the game. And so, yeah, come join us next week where we'll become your best urban planning advisors on one big mayoral trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. You put some sauce on that one.